Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for what You want to say to us. I pray for a spirit of revelation. I pray we have ears to hear. And I pray You give us understanding as we listen. And Lord, just speak to us beyond what I say. Speak to our spirits directly by Your Spirit. Father, we give You thanks tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to begin with this verse of Scripture. and I, 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 It seems like I started a lot of messages with this verse, but I'm going to do it tonight. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. It doesn't say they might come. It says they shall come. The word perilous literally means dangerous, fierce, furious, hard to bear, troublesome. Harsh, savage. Man, does that describe the times we're living in? Amen. I mean, that describes what's going on. I mean, uh, last time I think I got to teach this particular group, I talked about taking no anxious thought. I mean, today it's a challenge. Because those thoughts come over and over. I mean, all you got to do is read the headlines. You don't have to read the articles. Just read the headlines. And I mean, it's troublesome. I mean, these are troublesome times. They're fierce. They're savage times. I mean, if you just think about it, thousands of small businesses have been forced to close their doors forever because the government's demand for them to close and to shut down. People have been murdered and brutalized by the very ones that were entrusted to protect them. Hundreds of businesses have been destroyed by the looting and the rioting in our cities. I've talked to people personally in the past week who barely got through the shutdown, opened briefly, and then the rioters devastated their businesses, and they'll never open up again. I mean, that's that's savage. I mean, lives have been devastated in these times. The shutdown has has, has been a part of, 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 of suicides and drug overdoses and alcohol abuses and domestic violences and bankruptcies and all these things have been worse on our society than the disease ever would have been. The stress of, 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 and the fear of, of a virus has, 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 has affected people in lots of ways that have been very negative. I mean, you know, people like us in, in this room, we wonder about the future of this great nation. We wonder about what, what will come after us. And we're, we're finding it hard to believe that, that government would exercise such unconstitutional authority and that the citizenry would simply blindly comply and just follow them. It seems like there's no, no resistance of any substance. And the future looks very uncertain. I mean, that's something. In the last days... Perilous times will come. And then the next verse, it says, it starts off, for men shall be. That's in verse 2. And then, I mean, the next several verses lists all of these deviant behaviors that will take place in the last days. I mean, there's a whole line of them. And we may study that later on. I haven't decided for sure. But when we get to verse 4, it says this. It says, men shall be heady and high-minded. And that caught my attention the other day. So I'm going to take a look at these two words. Just, this, is, by the way, is just all a matter of introduction, just so you know. <laughs> the word heady uh, 
in the Greek, it literally means falling forward or falling headlong. It talks about being rash or being reckless. The, the word heady here is, is really a poor translation of the, of the Greek word propates, which is a term that's used to depict people who are so who are so wholly given to violence that they become known for their violent, reckless behavior and hot-headed emotional intemperance that exhibits a lack of self-control. Violence. Violence. I mean, based on that word, it's clear the Holy Spirit was prophesying of a time when members of society in general embrace violence and lose their ability to control their tempers. Man, does that talk about where we are. Violence. I mean, this generation that we live in is the most violent generation in human history. We are more violent than the Romans. I mean, those Romans were in love with bloodshed, but I'll tell you, bloodshed, the love of it, dominates movies, dominates television, music, video games, and the Internet. It's everywhere. I mean, this generation feeds on it, and it's not surprising that they're experienced levels of actual violence in every facet of society. The Holy Spirit said that silent that, that the society in the last times would be heady. It would be violent. It would be known for violence. Do you realize by the time a young person reaches 18, they will have seen hundreds of thousands of acts of violence on television, on the Internet. They will see violence. I mean, we know from the Bible that whether whatever we, whatever we put into our minds, whatever we watch, whether positively or negatively, Whatever we see and listen to affects us in our soul. It affects us. It affects our spiritual life, and it affects our walk with God. Violence. We, if we can't fill ourselves with violence and expect to walk successfully with Him, there are hundreds of studies that show the effect of violence from film that affects the way that people live their lives. And, it, and they all have this conclusion that says television and film violence leads to real-world violence. Man. I mean, we can see why violence is taking place in our streets in the time we live. I mean, the devil has been setting us up for decades. Decades. We thought it was violent in 1968. It's nothing compared to what it is now. But it's not the time to worry. It's the time to cling to the Word and to run to Jesus. It's time. The darker it gets the brighter the light looks when it shines. I believe this is our verse, or these are our verses, Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3, and you've heard these many times. Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. It's time for his glory to rise on the church. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. I love the next verse. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. I mean, the world is looking for light. They're looking for hope. I mean, instead of dread and worry, ours ought to be arising in the light and the glory of God. This can be the greatest season ever in the history of the church. It says, it talks about heady, then it says high-minded. The word high-minded is, is the Greek word uh, uh, is tufao. It means to envelop with smoke. It means to inflate with self-conceit. 
It's translated high-minded, be lifted up with pride, or be proud. It's often used of the devil, this particular word. It also speaks of a lot of people in these days. It's interesting. It says heady and then high-minded. The word high-minded, as I said, is from the, the Greek word tufao. Uh, uh, we get the, the English word typhoon from that word. Typhoon. Now that's interesting that the Holy Spirit would use that word. Because when a typhoon comes, it covers the entire landscape. And it arrives with destructive winds. It, as it approaches, the sky looks ominous. It's foreboding. It turns dark. It's turbulent. When it arrives on shore, everyone in close proximity is affected except those who fled from the storm and took adequate shelter. As dangerous and destructive <clears throat> excuse me, as typhoons are, the good news is they don't last very long. They come and then they go. They're short-lived. Likewise, what the Holy Spirit was talking about in that passage of Scripture, they may seem overwhelming as we read about them. But right in the middle of it, he reminds us that it will not last forever. It will not last long. Just as the typhoon passes, the events we're, we're living in today will pass. Those who've taken shelter in Jesus will be safe from the destruction that the Scripture says, wasteth at noonday. The unbelieving world around us. This is eventually going to pass. I love Isaiah, I mean Psalm 91 verse 5 says, Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flieth by day, nor of the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor of the destruction that wasteth at noonday. That ought to be what we're talking about. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. Tammy and I were talking about a news story the other day. I'm not going to tell you the news story. But it was, it, it was a terrible story that she, we were talking about. And she looked at me and she said, But I will not be afraid. I will not live my life in fear. Listen, they had their pandemic. By the way, I didn't participate, did you? <laughs> they can have all the pandemics they want to. They can have recessions and depressions. We don't have to be a part of that. The government told us to shelter in place. We need to shelter in Jesus. We need to find him as our refuge. Listen, it's time to take a real stand in the spirit. Amen. It's time. Let me read you some verses of scripture that you know you've read them, you've heard them before. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. This is where I want to go to. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen. Now this is Jesus talking to the church. These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot, so that because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, I have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that, <clears throat> that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Wait a minute, what? We use that, that verse about lost people. Where is Jesus? Outside of the church. Knocking on the door. We're not going to get that far tonight, by the way, just so you know. 
He said, If any man, I said to knock, if any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me at my throne, even as I also over, overcame and have sat down in my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now I've heard lots of theologians over the years, and they've compared Laodicea to the modern church of the United States. They've compared it to the end time church. I mean, they say it's a picture. And that this word that Jesus spoke to this church is a word to our generation. I think I agree. I think I agree this word needs to be spoken now in this time. I mean, we've just been through this season of pandemic. And now we're in this season of unrest and protests and rioting. Now I'm going to say a couple of things here for a few minutes. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and I don't want to make anybody mad. I'm not mad really. I'm mad at the devil. I'm mad at what I see happening in the church. Somebody needs to get something, some fire on the inside of them and some things need to be done. Not because we're mad, but because we love people and we love our God and we know that his word is true forever. The worst thing the church can do today is make a decision to go back to the way it was. For us to act like nothing has happened. And for us to assume that the way it's been is okay and we can just keep floating down the same river. The only way we can fight the violence of the last day is with violence. What am I saying? Listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twelve, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. And the violence take it. By force. We must attack. Not sit back and take it. Attack with the violence of fervent prayer. With the power of the Holy Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Which is the Word of God. By the way, the Word of God is also called a hammer. And it breaks into pieces the rocks of most stubborn resistance. The Bible calls it that in Jeremiah. We need to be on the attack. The church has been sitting still. I tell you, I, I was frustrated during the whole, I, not just because everybody stayed at home. I didn't stay at home at all. By the way, I worked every day. Just That's the way I worked. That's what happened in my life. The church, not, not, I'm not talking about Church on the Rock. I'm talking about the church of the United States was doing everything to survive. Doing everything it could to, to make it through it. I'm telling you, it's now is an opportunity to advance the kingdom of God like never before. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. I mean, we must attack. We need to be so fervent in prayer. And not just praying, oh God, please help us, but praying the word of God, praying the promise of God, standing on what God has said, believing in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and knowing that the word will work. The world is talking about a new normal. I believe the church has to have a new normal. We have to have one. I'm not talking about masks and social distancing. That is never going to be my normal. Let me just throw that out to you. I mean, it's not my normal. I'm referring to pressing into Jesus like never before, 
I'm talking about a passion for Him, humbling, our, humbling ourselves to His purpose like never before. Too much has happened. People must be equipped, prepared to answer the world, and especially the next generation with answers that come from the Word of God. By and large, there's a huge void. There's a lie out there that is so big. It must not be ignored. And the church has to know the Word of God to stand. Regardless of how we feel, we've got to know what we know. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We need to know what we believe. We need to know why we believe it. We've got to know now. I mean, right now we need to know. Again, I'm angry at the devil. I'm not mad at Christians, but I'm still going to rant for just a couple more minutes if it's okay. (laughs) If I offend you, I I apologize. I'm going to tell you, apart from the Word of God, the next generation will be taken captive and they will be destroyed. Our prayer needs to be that it's not too late. I mean, the Lord told me at the first of the year that it's going to be a tough year. and I thought he was talking about the election. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I tried to share that with, with a couple of people. I said, we have to have the word. If people don't have the word, they will fall away and they'll fall apart. And it was like, yeah, I agree. But, because everybody thinks they preach the word. We, the church of the Lord Jesus can no longer move forward in passive compliance as if nothing has happened. We cannot do it anymore. I mean, we must teach people the Word. They must hear. You know, over over the, the last couple of months, Joe was teaching that thing about Islam. I'm telling you, there was nothing politically correct about it. Nothing. I loved it. Why? Because he spoke the truth. He was teaching something that people need to know. I mean, we've, we've, we've been teaching people this. We've sold them on this bill of goods that God has a good plan for your life. If you just trust in Jesus, it'll be okay. Not without faith, it won't be. And, you, and the only way to have faith is in the Word. And you better know what the Word says to have faith. I mean... It, you know, well, you know, everything works out for good. Not to everybody. <laughs> it works out for good to only a certain group of people. And we need to understand what's going on. It's time that this woke culture that we live in encounters an awakened church of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's time that we wake up. I mean, that teaching that Joe did was in your face. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't care what your eschatology is. What he taught was so plausible. I mean, if you, if, we need to pay attention to some things. I mean, he, he was right there. In the United States, we are primed and we're being duped into socialism by the woke crowd. In the name of social justice. I mean, they're out there. I mean, we need social justice, by the way. But their means don't justify their end. It's not right. 
the social injustice regarding race, the church could have put an end to it decades ago. But we didn't. We sat silently by while our brothers and our sisters, I'm not talking about people in the world, I'm talking about people in the church, Christian people of color, the white church sat silently by, said nothing, did nothing, because we assumed that the government would take care of the problem. Because people who had differing, differing political and ideological ideas we didn't like them, and so we didn't hear the cries of our brothers and sisters. I'm talking about our brothers and sisters here. We could have put an end to it a long time ago. And it's festered because the church has been silent. It's festered because the hour of segregation that is the biggest on the planet is at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. There needs to be more taking place. We're going to have to. We're going to have to stay, step up. We're going to have to awaken. Man, the mantra of the church today is: Well, we just must be relevant. We got to be relevant. I mean, and what does that mean? What does relevant mean? Well, this is what I've observed. It means preaching and teachings. These limp-wristed service sermons of felt social needs. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. If I am, I apologize. The fastest growing in America, fastest growing religion in America, is not relevant to modern culture. It's Islam. They're growing faster than any churches today. Do you know they don't have any romantic lighting? I don't know how they can grow. They have no fog machines. And they're unafraid to preach messages that are offensive. Why? Because they believe they're in a war. And if we don't believe we're in a war, we're defeated before we begin. We've got to take a stand. <laughs> William Seymour, you know who he was? He was a one-eyed black preacher who got filled with the Holy Ghost listening to a guy teach the Bible in Houston, Texas. Decided to move to Southern California. Started a Bible study in a home. He heard this guy in Houston talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the guy in Houston got baptized in the Holy Spirit in a little college in Kansas, moved to Houston. William Seymour heard this gospel. He moves to, to L.A. He, they start teaching a Bible study in a house. The house gets so crowded with people, the power of God fell. This guy was so socially irrelevant that it was unbelievable. I mean, he cared nothing about the social relevance. He took The house got so full as he's preaching and, and the Spirit of God falling so big in the house that the floor fell out. So many people. So they rented an old building on a street called Azusa Street. And this one-eyed black man had no relevance to his society. He prayed and he sought the power of God. And God filled that place night after night after night after night. The man changed the culture of the world. He didn't submit to his culture. 
He created his culture. Because he refused to bow to what culture said about black preachers. Refused to, to submit to them. Listen, man, he changed the world. He was not relevant. Listen, I don't want to repeat Azusa Street. I just want the fire of God to fall on 88th Street where I live. I want the fire of God to fall on 91st Street where we are. I want God to move. I don't want I don't relevancy to society to draw people in so we can preach things that would be popular to them is insane. It's the word of God that has to be taught. People must be taught the truth of the word. They must be faced with the reality of the word because it's as we gaze into the mirror of the word day after day after day, we're changed into his image. We're altered. Our lives are altered. We must, we must, we must, we must awaken. Oh, man. Revival is not a feeling. Revival is a fire. It's a refreshing fire, but it consumes, it cleanses, and it changes things. I'm telling you, when revival comes, it'll consume everything that can't take to stand the test. It'll refine. It'll cleanse things. It'll burn out the chaff. And it will change things forever. We need that to happen in in our country, in our church, in the church of the United States. We need revival. Okay, let me get back to the passage here. I'm, I'm finished ranting, so I'm going to teach you some things now. Is that okay? So we're going to look at this passage. I'm, we're, I'm, I'm probably going to look at it for two or three times when we get together. If it's a picture of the church, we've got to see what Jesus says. We've got to make some changements as we face the last days or even face this day. So first of all, let's talk about the city of Laodicea. Laodicea was a city, it was located in the Lycus Valley in western Turkey. Ephesus was the largest church of Bible days. Ephesus was the largest city in, in the area, but Laodicea was the wealthiest. I mean, they had lots of money. This was a rich, rich place. It probably was the wealthiest city in the entire Roman Empire. I mean, this place was rich. It was a banking center. They had, they had a textile uh, uh, center place. It had a medical center. In fact, they produced what was called Phrygian powder, from which they made an eye salve for the healing of the eyes. People came from all over the world to get this stuff. Laodicea, the city, had 4,500 shops in it. It had four marketplaces. The most marketplaces any other city of the day had was two. They had four, four in this city. I mean, they had two theaters. The best any other city had was one. They had two theaters. In Laodicea, they had a stadium that seated 65,000 people. I mean, that's what, that's what it seats out of Jones AT&T Stadium. I mean, 65,000 people. They had a medical school. They had fountains all over the city, even though it was not near a large water source. Excavations are going on now. I mean, the city design was immaculate. I mean, the art, the, the, the buildings, I mean, it was so gorgeous. I mean, this city was so wealthy that after they had an earthquake one time that did, did a great a deal of damage, the Romans said, we'll help you. They said, no, 
we'll take care of ourselves. They were wealthy enough, they just took care of rebuilding their city, and it was more beautiful after they finished than the first time. It was located in this valley, in, on a small mountain in the middle of the valley. A city called Hierapolis was 15 miles one way. Colossae was 11, no, Hierapolis was 11 miles. Colossae was 15 miles the other way. And those cities were very wealthy, but not like Laodicea. It was the richest city probably in the world at the time. They had money. So Jesus, it says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, he says to the angel, the word angel, you know this is the Greek word angelos, which means a messenger from God. It means an angel or the pastor. In my opinion, Jesus is talking to the pastor of the church. The word angelos means one dispatched to perform a specific assignment. So Jesus is talking all these seven churches in, in, in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus is talking to the pastors. It says to the, to the angel of the church. You know the word church is the word ecclesia. It comes from ek, which means out. Kaleo, which means to invite or call out loud. is talking about those called out from the world into the gathering of the Lord. Okay, called out from the world. It, it, it doesn't refer to a building. It refers to a group of people. Originally, this word ecclesia referred to a gathering of Greek political leaders who met together and created legislation for a city. Called out. Okay? Called out once. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. That's what it's talking about. We've been called out, specifically assigned by God to come together for his purposes. All right? Then it says, Jesus refers to himself as, as, as a couple of things here. It says he is, it says he is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Every one of these things begins with the definite article, the, and it's always capitalized in the Greek when it was written. So when it says Jesus is the amen, he's talking about he's the only one. He's the supreme one. He's the amen. He is the, he's the only one like him. The amen. He is the, so be it, the trustworthy, the truth. Apart from Jesus, there is no truth. He's the one who can be trusted. He is the witness. That's interesting. He's the witness. The word witness means is the Hebrew word or the Greek word martus, which means we get the English word martyr. He is the one who is the witness of the truth that believed it so deeply that he was willing to testify it with his life and even lay down his life to the point of death to bring truth to us that we might have eternal life. He is the beginning of the creation of God. I like that. He's the word of God. John 1.3 says all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. He was there in the beginning. He's part of the creating, creating situation. So Jesus looks at him and he says, I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Now that's a little bit weird to me. You'd think he'd want us to be hot, right? I mean, why would he want us to be cold? It seems like, it seems like lukewarm is better than cold. Right? But Jesus said, I want you to be hot or cold. He wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't against this church or talking about them because they had money. There's a whole lot going on here. He said, I know thy works. The word know is the, the Greek word edo, which means to see, to perceive with the eyes, to know by observation, to know by personal experience. In other words, Jesus had been there watching them. 
He was watching the church. He knew what was going on. To each of the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus said, I know your works. I have personally been to your church. I have personally been observing the church. In Revelation 1.13, we see Jesus in the midst of the seven candlesticks. In verse 20, we see that the candlesticks are the churches. He is in the middle of the churches. The purpose of Jesus speaking to these churches was he's giving the pastors a report of what he personally observed in each church. What would be his report to the pastors of the United States, do you think? Because you know what? He's walking around and he's watching what's going on in his church. It's not the pastor's church. It's his church. What would be his report of the church in Lubbock? What would he need to tell Pastor Jackie? What would he need to say? What would his report be? Now, he's not threatening them. He never threatens them with the loss of salvation. Jesus is giving them a report, expecting them to repent, which means to change your mind and change your actions so that they can fulfill their purpose. He wants them to do what they're supposed to do. He says, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. The word cold in the Greek literally means freezing cold. It's not just kind of cold, it's freezing cold. The word hot literally means boiling hot. Jesus wants them to be both of these things. Cold and hot. Freezing cold and boiling hot. Hmm. I don't think he wants them just to be one or the other. I think he wants both of these things. Would you think, I don't know if we need to take a vote here, but would you think that the condition of the church in the United States today is cold or hot? Probably not. I think we would agree that it's lukewarm. I think it, I think if, I don't want to make anybody mad here, but I think if we went through our own church, we'd find a lot of people that are lukewarm. I don't know, somebody's getting a phone call here. He said, Jesus said, I would that thou wert cold or hot. The, the phrase I would uh, is the Greek word of elon. It means, it means, oh that. Oh that you were cold or hot. It means it's where one wishes that a thing had happened which has not happened. Or that a thing done, thing ought to be done which probably will never be done. He said, I, 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 I wish it. I, I, oh that you were cold. Obviously, Jesus doesn't want the church to be lukewarm. I'm not trying to indict anyone. I'm just saying it the way we, we know it really is. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So then, because means consequently the result of the fact that you are lukewarm. The word lukewarm is literally means tepid. It's lost its temperature and its value. The condition, I read this definition, I thought it was really good. It's the condition of a soul wretchedly fluctuating between torpor and fervor of love. The word torpor means the state of mental, physical, and spiritual inactivity, lethargy, lethargy, apathy. It almost means in hibernation. 
fluctuating between the two. In other words, this church is mostly going through the motions. They're rich. They have lots of money. They need nothing in the natural realm. They've got everything they need. They've got so much money, they don't need faith. Right? If you've got a lot of money, you don't need to be, have faith for provision. I mean, they've got a great medical community. They don't even have to have faith for healing. They have this great medical community. Apparently, this church has really good services. They probably have a fog machine. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. They have great services, but there is no real dependence upon the Lord. Jesus, in his very first sermon, began with the word, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does that even mean? He said, blessed are those who are utterly and absolutely dependent upon God for everything. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Poor in spirit doesn't mean impoverished. It means dependent upon God. Unfortunately, sometimes when things are good, we fail to realize that we're still called to walk by faith. We still need to be asking God, what's the next step? Where are we supposed to go? I mean, when there's no more need, we fail to press into Him on a deeper level. We need to be people who never lose our dependence. I like what Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 12, not as though it already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended this one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was still pressing. He was still pressing. He was still pressing. So what about this hot and cold business? Well, let me just, let me tell you where this comes from. The city of Laodicea, in this region, it was full of seismic activity. There were lots of earthquakes. And as often happens in seismic areas, vents come up from the depths of the earth and allow boiling hot water to reach the surface. Okay? In the nearby city of Hierapolis, those hot springs were famous. They had hot springs everywhere. People came from all over the world to bathe in the hot waters. They believed they had medicinal powers. They, I mean, an experience in those waters was viewed to be therapeutic and effective in improving one's health. I mean, it was known for hot, hot water. So just like it was known for hot water, Colossae was at the, at the base of the mountains. And when the snow melted, Colossae was known for its cold, cold waters. I mean, just as people went to Hierapolis to get in the hot water, they came to Colossae to bathe in the cold water. They would come to get refreshed and get invigorated. I mean, it was, it was, those, these were almost freezing waters. They had hot water. They had cold water. And here was Laodicea on this hill. They had no water. But they were so rich, they decided that they would be the first city in the world to have hot and cold running water. So they decided they would build pipelines 
to Hierapolis. These were made of clay. And build pipelines to Colossae. And they would pipe in the freezing cold water. And they would pipe in the hot, hot water. I mean, they, they, they spent years, spent money, all kinds of money on these pipelines, clay pipelines. Oh, man, they got, finally got the pipelines built. And, and, and they released the water. The hot water came from 11 miles away in this pipeline in clay pipes. It cooled down. Collected the taste of clay. The cold water warmed up from its 15-mile journey. Lost its wonderful, wonderful taste. And now tasted like clay. In fact, they finally got it. The people got water. They were drinking it. And they put it in their mouth. And they spewed it out of their mouths. They spit it out. These people knew what Jesus was talking about when he talked about hot and cold. They knew what it was. I mean, they spewed it out of their mouth. The word spew literally means to vomit, to spit out, to, to regurgitate. I mean, Jesus, I mean, when he was threatening to, to spew them out of his mouth, it doesn't mean he's rejecting them or he's disinheriting them. It just reveals how utterly distasteful a spiritually lukewarm condition is to Jesus. It is, I mean, what he's saying is that this church was failing to meet his expectations. It was not doing what it was advertising. It was not doing what it was put there to do. They are no longer a place of healing. No healing. No longer a place of refreshing and revival. Though they had the money to produce what looked like to the natural eye a great church situation, they were not making the impact that Jesus was expecting. He expected them to have impact. He expected them to be boiling hot with healing power. He expected them to be freezing cold with refreshing revival that would come. They weren't meeting his expectations. They were largely ineffective. Jesus wasn't condemning them to hell. He's just saying they're distasteful to him at this point. And he's saying, it's time to fix it. It's time to do it now. See, Jesus wants us to be cold and he wants us to be hot. I'm telling you, if you took a pitcher of lukewarm water and you poured it in your arm right there, it makes no difference to you. But if it's freezing cold, yeah, it makes a big difference. Or if it's boiling hot, it makes a big difference. We need to be making a difference in our society. Instead of the church sitting on the sidelines, allowing the media, allowing the politicians, we need to have a voice in the spirit. First of all, we need to be so fervent and hot in our prayer, it needs to make a difference. I mean, comfort tends to make the church lukewarm. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus is never bothered by the fact we have money. But he is bothered by the fact that the money cools us off. Or the money makes us no longer cold. I mean, the fact that we, when the church becomes indifferent and is making no difference in society overall, when the church begins to look like the culture, it's a problem. 
the church should be influencing the culture. I mean, we don't. We we need to we need to affect the culture, not the culture affecting us. We must move beyond comfort. The church of the United States needs to be hot or cold. We either need to do something or get out of the way. Religion is sickening. We need to be hot. We need to be cold. We must make a difference. We've got to be bring healing. In light of the racial situations going on, the church ought to be in the front here. And I've seen glimpses of it. There needs to be more. We need to be in that place. We need to be the place of revival and refreshing. Man, ours is not to imitate the world in being what they call relevant. Ours is not to accept their their new normal. We need to be the ones who define normal. We need to become hot or cold. Now Jesus was walking through and he gave the answers. And we'll look at those next time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. I thank you, God, that you're calling a church to rise up in this time. You're causing, you're calling for the church to, to do what you've created her to do. You're calling us, Father, to be who you've called us to be. I thank you tonight for your word. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.